708 on CJD. Welcome to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Josh Miller of Fuller Landau. How are you, Josh? Excellent, Dan, as always. Good. Later on, we'll be talking about uh, business uh, owners uh, lending money to the banks, and you're going to offer some tips on that. Yeah, kind of, you know, when entrepreneurs, before they walk into the bank or wherever they're going to borrow money from, what should you know? What are the little tips and tricks and challenges and, and pitfalls to avoid? All right, so that's A to Z uh, on lending and uh, borrowing coming up after 7.45. But for now, our guest this evening is Albert Chambers. Uh, we're going to the music business, Josh, of Bass Bin Studios. Welcome, Albert. Hey, how are you doing, guys? Good, how are you? Good. And I think tonight, Dan, uh, other than the fact that you're going to hear the passion exude from Albert's story, I mean, this is a guy that that, you know, What's a vacation? He enjoys his, his, his business so much that he, you know, say, you know, vacation, I, I enjoy what I do every day. I don't need a vacation. Uh, but, but let's get the listener up to speed on exactly what Basebin Studio does. Uh, Albert, perhaps you can enlighten us exactly on what the service or product you provide today. Yeah. Um, let me start by saying I stole that quote, the vacation thing from Madonna. So <laughs> <laughs> apparently she loves what she does so much she doesn't feel the need to go on vacation. I think that's a lie. But You don't look uh, like her. It's okay. <laughs> it's good. We won't confuse the two. Um, Studio Basebin um, started just around 17 years ago as a uh, fully equipped rehearsal facility. So bands that were coming into town or basically the bulk of the Quebec industry uh, that needed a rehearsal space that was fully equipped um, and wanted to rent per hour. Um, that's what we, uh, we offered that service, uh, to these people. Uh, there were already studios that were open, that were close to what I was doing. I just figured I'd just get it a little bigger, better equipment, um, just a better facility all, all around. And, uh, 17 years later, you know, I mean, we've, we've morphed into more than just the rehearsal studios, but, uh, the bulk of it, uh, that's what basically we were. So, uh, yeah. What, what else do you do other than just the rehearsal studio today? What do you offer other musicians? Right now, uh, I am um, a freelance producer, uh, songwriter. Um, I just finished, uh, well, I finished last summer uh, writing, co-writing a record for Coral Egan. So that record that's coming out now, um, yeah, I helped uh, collaborate in that collaboration. Um, I also record uh, for Corey Hart. Um, vocals that I just did actually uh, not too long ago for uh, the English version of Don Juan, but it's Don Juan. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I, I, I gained a reputation for recording vocals and uh, now Corey calls upon me for any type of like artist that he's uh, either working with or um, songs that he wants to pitch and he needs people singing on him. So yeah, that's what I'm doing now. Now let's take it back. 17 plus years you've been in business. Mm. What what drove you into it? What were you doing before that you said, you know what, I, I just got to go out on my own? Yeah, I mean, long story short, I mean, prior, just prior to uh, Studio Basement, I won't go into my whole history, but um, I worked uh, music instrument retail and I worked for Steve's Music Store uh, for a number of years. Uh, and... Um, that was basically, I'd call that the real world. It was it was school. Uh, I learned how to be personable with uh, clientele and uh, learned how to just interact with people's needs and, you know, putting my ego aside. People needed to get served and they didn't need excuses to, you know, uh, for, for any type of reason of why I wouldn't be able to get whatever they needed at that store. They just needed a certain either instrument or part or, and I just had to step up my game. And that, that, that place was constantly busy. So, um, I learned a lot from, uh, Dave and Sheldon who were like the, uh, the head managers uh, of that store. Yeah. 
but you didn't see that as you know a lifelong uh, lifelong task lifelong job you know that's you, you felt some need to go out on your own yeah you know you know what the thing is is that i've always been a self-motivated type of person and whether i was working at steve's or any other place prior to that i always treated where i worked as my own business i i wouldn't I wouldn't have the mindset of I'm an employee of this store. I always had the mindset of how can I make this place better? It didn't even belong to me. And I, and, and I'm, I, in the end, I, I feel like I was doing you know, these places a service by just being extremely uh, just passionate about whatever I was doing at that time. If, if my job was as, to some people, as mundane as just making sure that the, the wall was filled with inventory and it always looked filled, I mean, that, I took that to 110% with passion. It was, it was, it was kind of uh, it's kind of silly, <laughs> but I, I, I believe that it just helped me motivate myself to go on and to do uh, other things for myself. I said, well, if I can do this for somebody else with that type of inspiration and, and passion, well, then why can't I be, why shouldn't I be doing this for, for myself? Now, when you first opened, you had to find a location. How did you find your first location? What was the, what was the crux? What was the reasoning of, I got to be there? You know what? It, 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 it kind of fell on my lap by, by mistake. I was really looking everywhere. At first, I started looking in warehouse industrial type areas because you, the first thing you think of is that I'm going to be opening up rehearsal studios, people playing at 120 plus dB uh, volume. I have to make soundproof rooms, but at the same time, I'm thinking, well, I don't want to disturb neighbors just in case my soundproofing isn't you know uh, up to par. So uh, I realized that when I was looking in, in industrial areas, uh, I wasn't even allowed to actually build in that type of zonage. I wasn't permitted to create what was called, I guess, post-production studios in an industrial area. It sounds kind of weird. I had to find a commercial uh, commercial building to do uh, such. And I would just literally drive down the street, walk down the street, rollerblade down the street. I mean, you, we're talking 17 years mm -hmm. ago, right? So, I mean, it was quite a while ago. I was... Uh, no, a, lot, a little younger than I am now. So, um, yeah, I, I would just check out addresses, literally go to the Ville de Montréal and say, this address, this is what I want to do. And they would tell me whether I was zoned uh, for that area. Today's entrepreneur on CJAD, our guest Albert Chambers of Base Bin Studios. We'll talk about uh, uh, throughout the program uh, financing too, Josh. And uh, it's a very capital-intensive business, I would imagine. So we'll get to that as well with Albert. I dig myself deeper. 718 on today's entrepreneur and uh, Josh Miller with me here, of course, inspiring stories from outstanding business people. And our guest is Albert Chambers of Basebin Studios. And what you're just hearing right now is, I guess, uh, some of Albert's work. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, I am a songwriter, producer. And uh, yeah, those are that's an example of uh, some tracks that I produce for clients and uh, some known and some uh, some not so known. Yeah. Now, and, and I want to save that question later and how you kind of got known in the market and marketing. But before we get there, uh, you know, you got to, was it random? I mean, you're, you're out, you're, you left one job one day. Was it random? Did you, did you have a plan going out? What was the evolution of the thought before you really opened the door? I guess the, the day that I had, um, quit, uh, my previous job at, at Steve's, um, I didn't have an idea what I wanted to do. It wasn't a, uh, a foreseen thought. I basically quit that day on a whim um, I just felt it was the need for me to move and to do something else with my life. And um, 
I, 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 I quickly, quickly realized that there was a need for uh, rehearsal studios because I was still an active uh, musician at that time. I was still playing, you know, clubs, you know, playing live in, in, in bars. And um, I'd rehearse in these, you know, roach-infested places. And I remember opening the, my base case one, one night at, at home and literally seeing a roach crawl out of my... <laughs> So when I say roach infested, yeah, this literally. is literally yeah, I'm this is literally, and uh, I said this, there's got to be a better place, you know. I mean, ar- around. I mean, wh- why can't I do something? I said, okay, you know, it's like no, nobody's gonna reinvent the wheel, you know. I mean, so but I can make it better with bigger mags and really shiny, you know, right? So um, I, I I can I figured uh, I'd start my research on basically uh building rehearsal studios and finding out how much you know and started doing my marketing and research and uh, of how many studios were in a certain uh area uh what my demographic was and you know this is back before you know the internet it took a little bit longer i mean you had to go through paper as opposed to I clicking had to go, i had to go through pa- i had to do the f- the footwork i literally had to hit the pavement go out on the street and or or either hit the yellow pages and go how many rehearsal studios are in Montreal start going through the yellow pages you know page by page and how many uh, recording studios are there in Montreal just to find out what part of the music industry uh, basically was focused around a certain area and I said well if there's a lot of music happening in this one area then that's where I need to build but all of this had to be done literally by it was a lot of time and, and, and paper and, and, and walking around and asking people and telephoning people and asking people what, what their thoughts were on, on me building rehearsal studios and how do I build rehearsal studios. I mean, I had no, I had no idea even about soundproofing. So, it, yeah, it wasn't uh, foreseen. I had to do a lot of research. Did you ever get discouraged? Do you ever think that, you know, maybe it wasn't the right move to You know what? That's the one thing that never entered my mind. Once I, I, I quit my job and once I had the thought of I'm going to open up rehearsal studios and they're going to be better than what I've been rehearsing in, I never, ever once said, this might not work. I couldn't have that mindset. You know, I, uh, I've, I've never read The Secret, but the philosophy of visualize it and it will happen, mm-hmm. it, that's what happened to me. But when you're visualizing it, what a lot of people do is they write out a business plan. They do their research. They write a plan. Okay, it might not be to the T as it gets executed, but they write it out. So they kind of visualize it on paper as they write the plan. Yes. Did you take that route? Absolutely. I mean, there was no other way to do it. I mean, I needed to get a loan uh, to, to start the business. So I needed to have a business plan, you know, in place. And that's how I basically visualized it by going through all of the steps of what my business plan needed for me to be able to present that to a, a bank and say, hey, this is all the experience that I've had over the, the past you know, uh, 15 years uh, in the music industry. This is what I'm planning to do and read it, tell me what you think. And it, it was, yeah, I, I, I went, I did the research. It was, it was, it was very clear. Never, never underestimate the plan, I think, is, is the lesson here. And when we come back, we'll find out a little bit more about how Albert looks and, and tries to stay up with his competition as well. Today's Entrepreneur on CJAD with our guest Albert Chambers of Bass Bin Studios. 
7.25, more work uh, from Albert Chambers of Basement Studios. You can hear it right now, Josh. Uh, that wasn't me. He didn't fix my voice to sound <laughs> no. like that, so don't worry. Well, with autotune, you can do almost anything these days. Uh, that's not autotune. <laughs> that is Cynthia Baroud. Uh, she's an, an amazing, amazing singer. And trust me, I, I'm like not a fan of autotune. We, we can get in that later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She sounds lovely. Uh, so Josh, we're talking about how Albert set up his studio, and uh, it's it's it seems like a very complicated process, a very expensive process. And, and I think when when we were just before the break, we were talking about competition and knowing what else is out there and what you have to provide in your studio. How did you what, how did you gain that knowledge, and what was your philosophy to make sure that you were differentiated from your competitor? Well, first of all, I, I mean, I did have to work with a budget, therefore I had to be realistic about what I was building. So. Um, there, there were rehearsal studios that are already in existence um, that had, you know, uh, s- small rooms to extremely huge rooms f- facilities. Um, and I figured, I said, if, if I have one big, huge room, that will only cater to the A-list clients. And it kind of scared me that I'd only have, you know, one type of client booking and I'd, and I'd be c- competing against those other studios that deal with just the A-list uh, clients. But they had other things that were backing them up too. They had they had rehearsal studios. They had uh, um, music retail, uh, instrument rental. Uh, they had a whole bunch of things to support if ever that didn't, uh, you know, go go well. So I think I went with a, a you know a mid to large size room uh, that facilitated anywhere from the the amateur to the to the semi professional to the professional A list clientele, and um, it proved to be a good a good move because a lot of my competitors ended up closing the rehearsal division. So, yeah. Now when you're, when you're equipping this studio and as you said earlier, just a moment ago, you needed to be budget conscious. I mean, you weren't, you weren't working with a blank check at the beginning. How did you manage? Did did your plan at the beginning say, you know what, I got to get this kind of equipment. It's a little bit less expensive. Did that change? Yeah, no, I, I, I never, that was the one thing that I said. I, I, I'm a professional musician, and uh, I used to play live a lot. I mean, more studio so now. But when I played live, I said, well, I'm not going to equip my rehearsal studios with anything less than what I would accept myself playing on. I, I used to give advice to the pros that used to play with Celine and, and, and so forth about what to use live. So why would I? It would be kind of weird and hypocritical of myself you know going into a studio and and equipping equipping my studios with like mediocre gear and saying no it's it's really good listen listen to it 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 just wouldn't work it wouldn't fly i I mean i needed the gear to sell and be a big part of the marketing of my studio so there had to be a wow factor uh the support of uh, steve's music uh was a huge huge factor i mean i had money to buy my own drums and the first person that came up to me was lenny uh at steve's in the uh, who manages the drum department um said you you need drums uh, i said yeah i'm ready to buy some drums he said well what if you don't need to buy drums i was like well wouldn't that be lovely <laughs> exactly <laughs> you know so i mean i i had i had the support i was very i was very fortunate and um not all the gear was, uh, you know, supported through through those means, but they knew that I was coming in. I was buying a whole bunch of gear and equipment, and they were behind me 110 percent on any any way that they could help me. And uh, yeah, the the equipment was, uh, yeah, I, I couldn't I couldn't uh, cheap out on the the equipment. The, it was it was important. Did you have to learn? I mean, how do you keep up with the knowledge of the equipment and and you know, the different, different different instruments if you didn't play them all? Or you know what, engineering wasn't my forte. I was a bass player. 
I knew how to get my bass to sound great on stage, you know, if I was playing live. But then uh, people, you know, it's like once I started setting up my, my studios, they were like, well, you, you realize you need to get EQs for your, your monitors because you're going to be feeding back once you have more than one or two microphones that are live in the room. And I was like, really? Okay, frequencies? I got to control it? Yeah, you got to get compressors too to like make sure that your speakers aren't blowing up. Compressors, ratio, level, threshold. So how did you learn it? How did you learn it? You know what? I have... I've I've been doing this for for years, so all of my friends are in the music industry, and everybody was like knocking on the door to help me out, you know. And I have great great friends that would come by and go, "This is this is how you're going to work your EQ. This is what you need your EQ for. This is what you need your compressors for." And everything happened in steps. Yeah, I think it's great, and I think the the big lesson here in that little story, that little anecdote, is that you can't know everything. So if you can't, Impossible. you got to surround yourself with the people and friends yeah. and, and colleagues that can help you exactly in the areas that you're missing. Accept the help. Accept the help. You know, don't be, you don't be proud it. and don't think that you know everything. I mean, that's going to kill you. More with Albert Chambers of Basebin Studios on today's Entrepreneur. Keep on keeping it real. Keep on, keep on. Keeping it real, keep on, keeping it real, keep on. Some of the lovely sounds that Albert Chambers of Basebin Studios produces on a daily basis. Still not me. <laughs> no, still not you. No, that's uh, the lovely Coral Egan. Uh, yeah, she's got a great voice. So it was great working with her. Yeah. Today's entrepreneur on CJAD, Dan Delmar, and Fuller Landau's Josh Miller with our guest, Albert Chambers of Base Bin Studios. And we're talking about uh, the studio, rehearsal studio, production, post-production studio, uh, working with a lot of artists, uh, a very interesting endeavor, a very expensive endeavor, uh, dealing with a lot of new technology. So why don't we go there, Albert? Why don't, we, uh, why don't you tell us about, uh, I guess, keeping up to date with all the transforming technology? I know when we moved into here, in, into new studios uh, here at CJAD, it would require just an overhaul. Uh, so I, I can't imagine how, how up-to-date you, uh, you must be on, on a yearly basis. You know what? Um, I think the rehearsal studio division part is, uh, is just maintaining the gear. Um, now, uh, with technology and things like that, I think in the recording uh, part of the facilities, it's changed immensely. And that's something that you know I, I constantly, to this day, keep on uh, updating. And that's not you know within a yearly you know uh, thing. This is like we we do on a on a monthly basis. Whether it's a new software update or a new uh, uh, type of uh, um, outboard piece of gear or uh, summing unit and whatnot. I mean, there's so many things you know that change within uh, a recording environment. Uh, it's 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 ridiculous. I, I find it hard to actually keep up with everything. So sometimes I just like to go back to basics. And for the rehearsal divisions, uh, for the most part, a lot of the gear is is basically the same uh, type of equipment um, that I've used for for years. Um, I, it, as long as it lasts and tufts 10 hours a day, seven days a week. I feel no reason to change certain certain pieces, you know. There's never been really abuse of the equipment, or oh. you monitor it. I mean, you've had oh, haven't yeah. had crazy artists come in and start oh, yeah. smashing and. Oh yeah, I have. Yeah, sure, of course. You've that's had, what insurance for. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's what insurance is for, and um, yeah, you'll have the, you know, the 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 band fight. I mean, eighty bands a week, seven you know, seven days a week. Uh, 17 years later, yeah, I've had some fights, I've had brawls, uh, I've had chairs thrown in the studio. I mean, you, you pretty much, you know, see all of it. And 
it, it's all it's all part of it. I've been v extremely fortunate. Knock on wood. Uh, this is Milliman, but uh, um, that I've never had uh, the studios really, really, really you know wrecked in any type of huge form. But I've never had I've had one thing stolen from inside the studios, and I've had one laptop uh, stolen uh, at my studios um in 17 years i think that's a pretty good record of 80 bands a week coming through so yeah and and i would imagine you're not you're not alone there you have some people that are working with you yes i have employees that that, that work for me yes i have like uh i have three full-time guys and i always have uh sub guys that that basically replace those guys because they're everybody that works for me are musicians they go out on tour uh they they, they play live and so they need people to replace them and vice versa for the other people. at what point did you realize you could no longer be a one-man show that you uh, really needed to expand your horizon so to speak yeah you know i mean everything was related to budget once again you know when i first started and um when you first open up a business um, you don't always have the budget to have employees on hand, depending on what you're doing, right? Um, uh, my facilities did not, um, uh, you know, it didn't uh, have any reason for me to actually employ anybody the first few months. Probably the first six months, I ran the show alone. And when we're saying six months, it doesn't seem like a very long time, but I, I would be there at quarter to 10 in the morning and I would leave at 2.30 in the morning and this went on 7 days a week for 6 months straight um, at the end of that 6 month haul I realized that I was just going bonkers and I, mm -hmm. I, I, I couldn't do it alone so I slowly would hire one guy a week and then that stretched on to 2 days a week and, and, and 3 days a week and I mean it's just a gradual gradual process and then you can work on other parts of your business you can expand your service offering you know what that's I, that was basically a, a must there wasn't any other way to sort of look at it and uh, the studios did what they did and then you sort of max out you know how many clients you can actually uh, take in uh, for the day and then you say well listen I, I, I have more time uh, to do other things that I love and producing and writing was one of them and that's that's something that I took on uh, very seriously. Given that your business is so artistic did you find it difficult to find people you could trust to produce quality art? Um... Yeah, you know what? I mean, the the if I understand the question right, I mean, people that are coming into the studio, um, yeah, some of them should be doing it for a living and some of them shouldn't. <laughs> uh, but who am I to to say that this person, you know, isn't gonna isn't gonna make it or break it, right? You know, it's like I I always tell people, I say, you know what? Let somebody else give that person the bad news, you know, whether they should be doing it or not. You know, just do what you do. And um, these people have a dream, and uh, I'm not going to be the one to squash it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna encourage them in doing what they, what they love. I mean, when when I opened up my studios, people thought I was, I was crazy. The rehearsal studios, like, no, man, don't, don't do that. You like, what, what are you thinking? And I can't have that mindset going in, you know, with my clients either. You know, it's like I, I have to be, I have to encourage them. Well, and one of the, of course, biggest challenges you're opening up a brand new studio, brand new business you got to get people to come into the door. So let's kind of talk a little bit about marketing. How did you get people to know you existed? How did the traffic start coming in? Uh, I think, you know, once again, uh, there there wasn't 
any internet back then. So advertising in uh, local zines, whether it was the the Hour, the Voir, the Mirror back then, the Gazette, uh, La Presse, uh, any little ad that I could do, um, I I would I would basically place ads, and I would do a lot, a lot, a lot of you know, passing out flyers and going to colleges and see Jepson. And it was a lot of like uh, hitting the pavement once again and talking to a lot of my peers that were in the music industry and having those six years of working at Steve's Music Store helped me immensely. So I had a lot of a lot of support from people telling people where to go. Now, part of your business isn't just a rehearsal studio. It's also producing. It's also uh, mixing and sound work and all that. How did you... How did you get to the artist from there? Once you develop that that unique ability, how do they know to come to you? It's kind of weird. I, I, I was always very shy about um, advertising, about producing or writing or mixing. I didn't want people to get confused. And, you know, like you said, about marketing is, like, extremely important. If You know, uh, Studio Basebin was known for years as a rehearsal studio, and we we've morphed into to more than that um i i do produce and i write but i sort of i re, i try not to advertise um the studios as a recording studio because i'm not really a recording facility like a commercial um a commercial studio would be um I am hired as a producer and as a writer. I have a project room within my facility that i use to be able to work out of um i have you know, top-notch uh, uh, gear that I use within my facility, but I take on certain projects, and I don't take on anybody that just wants to record just about anything, um, mainly because I can I can choose to do so. Does your business get hit by recessions in the economy? Yeah, 2009, I took a kick in the butt. Um, <laughs> didn't everyone. Yeah, didn't everyone, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, we're, we're still feeling the ripples of uh, of, of that hit, but... Um, I think how do you adjust what do you learn from that pure tenacity of just you know it's saying I, I can't I can't give up I literally I mean at one point um, during that recession I remember the irony kills me on this story is that I came into the studios and strapped to my doorknob of my office door was an eviction notice which probably a lot of people don't know about but I think it's hilarious now because now I'm over it it's after the fact yeah it's after the fact was an eviction notice and within the same hour I was actually handed a gift basket from the building that actually was uh, threatening to evict me so I got a Christmas gift basket and an eviction notice within the same hour and I, I thought that was just hilarious needless to say I was stressed out but when you sustain yourself somewhere for so many years um, a lot of the paperwork and things like that to, to just to let people know not to get discouraged is um, that if you show that you have that type of tenacity and you show sustainability in something they know that you'll be able to pull yourself out of it these eviction notices a lot, a lot of times they're sent out they're random uh, to you know to if, if you're late on rent and whatnot um, but the people that n- know you personally that are are, are that have like allowed you to occupy that space know that you're going to come around if you've been around for you know 12 15 years and you've been paying the rent and all of a sudden they see a dip you know and and, you know and everybody's you know taking the hit during recession they know that you know the the things will turn around so uh, things did and um but 
it was just pure, 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 just adrenaline rush of let me, I got to get things happening again. Yeah. And it's and it's a never give up kind of situation that uh, that no if you choice. believe in it and you have the right customer base and you know that you can make a go of it with your plan, then then you will. And and I think that's a lot of what a lot of entrepreneurs need to know. They have to if the plan is correct and it's yeah. been well thought out and you know it can happen, then then that's what you have to keep pushing. Oh yeah. And then there's the money. We'll get to the money in a second and uh, how uh, how to get into the banks and how to. Uh, uh, to prepare something that'll be pl- uh, uh, fav- favorably welcomed by the bank. So we'll get to that uh, in a second, Josh. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and Josh Miller of Fuller Landau. Our guest this evening, Albert Chambers of Basebin Studios. And of course, Josh setting up a studio probably, unless you're really, really wealthy, requires that uh, you deal with some banks. Uh, so w- let's talk about that now, Josh. And how uh, should an entrepreneur uh, pre- entrepreneur prepare him or herself uh, to... to to, to prepare something favorable that would allow a bank to lend the money. And I think the, the first lesson, and, and Albert mentioned earlier on the show, is plan. You cannot walk into a bank randomly. You really need to do your research and have some type of business plan going in. I think it's, it's huge. If you walk into a bank without a stitch of paper, without a real good path of where you want to go, that's going to be a real uphill battle. I mean, what, what you have to remember at the end of the day, the entrepreneur is going in to sell his or her idea, yeah. sell his or her business idea that it will actually make money at the end of the road, whether it's six months, 12 months, 18 months, two years, mm-hmm. hopefully not beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what they really have to go in and they have to be prepared. You cannot just go in uh, completely unrepaired and wing it. Winging it just doesn't work. Uh, Albert, what was your experience in dealing with banks? Well, uh, I think going in with the same uh, mindset that that Josh was talking about is going in prepared and realizing that when you're going to a bank and you're actually pitching an idea for a loan, you have to think of it as, I'm here to make you money. Lend me money, you'll make money. I mean, it's a business. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, the banks aren't there uh, to give, you know, charity. They're not a charity donation, you know, like a, uh, a place. This is this is a place of business. And we were talking about how uh, how getting loans today are a lot harder uh, than back in the day when I actually got my loan. Not to say that um, I had to do any less work than you would today. But the only difference is, is uh, like Josh was mentioning, is that the people that you're pitching the idea to are actually uh, not in front of you uh, today. Whereas back in the day, right? It's, a, it's absolutely very different today because when you started 17 years ago, the powers, the lending powers of each individual branch, a lot of it relied with the discretion of the branch manager. Today, it's so much, much more centralized, these, these decisions. And I think one of the one of the biggest wake up calls or one of the biggest realities that entrepreneurs are faced with is when they're sitting in front of the the, the banker or the customer relationship manager or whatever fancy name they choose to call themselves today, <laughs> they they're selling their business idea to them. That person in turn has to take it to their credit or risk department or some back office uh 
I, I was about to say schnook. Some <laughs> some back office uh, professional that that, uh, that has to take that information, digest it, dissect it, and come sell back it themselves. and sell it themselves. Yeah. You and the customer relationship managers are actually in one of the worst positions that bankers have ever been in years. Why? Because the owners of the banks, you know, they're, they they. They're telling them to go sell because they want to lend money, but at the same time, you know, I think I think they put on the brakes because they say, well, they have to prove their idea to the nth degree. Mm -hmm. Now, at the end of the day, you know, it's 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 kept the Canadian economy quite quite strong because the banking system is strong, but you know, there 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 has to be some give and push for entrepreneurs, which comes back to the you better be prepared, you better go in with your guns. Fully, fully loaded. And yeah. how how honest are you supposed to be in these situations? Do you want to tell the bank literally everything, paint it, uh, the most realistic pe picture you can, or do you make let's just say put on rose colored glasses? I, I think Dan, the the quick answer is you want to be honest. Now, there's no question that everything is case by case, but uh, transparency at the end of the day will be your friend because information is too easy to get, and the people. Uh, you know the 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 Oz behind the big curtain that's going to be asking questions is going to be asking a million questions and one of those questions is bound to trip you up if you don't go in starting with the truth from day one mm. and you trip over one of your left truths your credibility is shot and the moment your credibility is in the gutter oh, yeah. it's very difficult to bounce back is it best that you go into these to these meetings alone, or uh, maybe you have a lawyer with you, or someone to support you, a business advisor? Well, I, I think I think the and Albert said it earlier. We we commented that if you don't know one aspect of your business, or or you're you're missing some key component, clearly you have to have the right partner with you to help you make sure you get to that next stage. No different in bank meetings. If you know your business, but you can add credibility to that meeting, to that idea, with somebody next to you, one or two people, whether they they uh, they compliment you, whether it's on the finance side, the sales side, the operation side, doesn't matter. If that if if you can be better as a team than one, do it. We're talking about talking to banks on Today's Entrepreneur with our guest Albert Chambers of Basebin Studios. 7.55 on Today's Entrepreneur. Our guest is Albert Chambers of Basebin Studios. And Josh, we're talking about uh, approaching the bank, uh, as, is, as is the case in many businesses. So certainly in when, it, when you're putting together a studio, got to borrow some money at some point. Um, how, how quickly should the entrepreneur expect a bank to close a deal if you're, if you're trying to borrow money? Uh, much longer than they think it will. Now, again, this is not 17 years ago where the branch manager sitting in front of you that you're telling your story to yeah. can can effectively make the decision, as I'm sure, Albert, when you first went 17 years yeah. ago, uh, how long did it take you to yeah, with, close within Yeah, within a month or, or two months, I, I got an answer. And like you said, I'll echo that, is that I was literally pitching the idea uh, to the person that was going to either say yay or nay to my uh, business plan. So I had all my, you know, my eyes, you know, dotted and my T's crossed and uh, uh, a lot of support in this, in the credits that I had on records for um, the service that I had rendered them when I worked at Steve's Music Store. So I, I had a lot of credibility behind me already. 
and I think today or the difference with today and and of course it does depend on how much you're you're asking for you know if you're going to ask for you know approximately fifty thousand dollars seventy five certainly under a hundred they'll base it a lot more on the individual and the individual's assets and and that ability once you start going beyond that you're getting to the couple of hundred and five hundred and million plus it it is going to take a lot longer because you're not pitching to the person making the decision mm-hmm you're pitching to the person that's going to pitch to the person that will pitch to the person making the decision. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, it's it's gotten that much layered and it's always going to come back with so much paperwork and so much backup documents and and you know and as much as as we're trying to save trees these days, uh, there's really a ton of trees that get killed uh with all the information that the banks provide. Now, it's it's better for them. They're trying to I mean at the end of the day they're really trying to minimize their risk. So we understand that and the indirect benefit to the entrepreneur is that sometimes they actually make you think as well. Sometimes they'll ask you a question that you may not have completely thought about. So it's not the the process is not a bad process. It's just sometimes a frustrating one. Do banks typically ask to for you to commit personal funds to this or provide something for collateral? You know, you you hear these uh, this famous uh, four words: skin in the game. Do you have skin in the game? Have you put up your own? money because you believe in the product or process or service that goes a long way to your credibility even you know you have a plan you have uh, anything else everything else on paper you have a financial projection that seems to make a lot of sense but when you're going there if you physically put in your own funds that you believe in it i mean other than the fact that the banks ask for a lot of ratios to be met you have you know you have to have a certain number of assets to your liabilities you have to you know try and in your first year if you have a loss you got to try and cover it or or make sure that you have your own funds in there if you have your own money on the line you have risked something that speaks volumes to the bank uh, and and it's really private money that's put in there they the government the bank just wants to know that hey they're not in it alone and real quick, Josh, the importance of a business plan. I know you stress this frequently. Uh, just got to have it. You, you got to have something. You cannot cannot walk in. Don't walk in with one sheet of paper or half a sheet of paper. Walk in with a few. Make sure it's got the, the people, the management team is huge. The financials are huge. The product and marketing is big. And, of course, for the conclusion to the show with Albert Chambers. Uh, Albert? What yeah, one piece? Your... What one piece of advice would you offer <laughs> today's entrepreneur? If you are going to start up a business... Know your business inside and out. Know who your competitors are and what you need to do to one-up all of them. I think that's great. And, and just as a, you know, there's, there's so many uh, lessons and takeaways I get, Dan, but one of them was a don't give up. One of them was a tenacity. One of them is a perseverance that we've seen so many times on the show. Mm. Uh, yes, you can follow your dream. It's easy to follow, it's hard to keep following when it doesn't happen right away. Yeah. It's hard to keep following when somebody's putting an eviction notice on your door. It's hard to keep following when somebody is slamming that that potential opportunity or is not giving you that contract. Keep keep going, keep going. You believe in it, properly plan, and it will happen. Yeah, and it sounds cliche, but it is true. It's, it's, it, the cliche wins, yeah. And keep your energy up and your enthusiasm up, which is clearly the case with you, Albert. So thanks very much. Albert Chambers from Basebin Studios. Thank thanks you. for coming in tonight. Thank you, guys. And Josh, back next Monday night at 7 p.m. for another edition of Today's Entrepreneur on News Talk Radio, CJAD 800.